If you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. Have you ever tried to do anything for God and forgot to pray? Have you seen it fail miserably? Have you attempted to reach somebody or talk to somebody and you did not pray before you did so and you felt like you just bombed the whole situation? I dare say many of us have experienced that a time or two if we're a disciple of Jesus Christ. In fact, one of the problems that I think happens in the Christian life is we think we can do it on our own, and then we realize we're failing on our own, and that's when we ask the Lord for help. To our detriment, we end up relying in our own strength and in our own power and in our own might. And when we do that, we fail to make God's Word the priority. One of the reasons why I think you and I fail in reaching other people for the kingdom of Christ and of God is because we have not spent enough time praying before we do so. We have tried to engage in battle without asking for instruction. We've assumed that based on what we know of the Scripture, we are going to go ahead and be able to engage automatically. Let me tell you, believer, the Holy Spirit needs to move in your heart for you to act accordingly. And He needs to move in the heart of others so that they can move accordingly as well. Apart from the Holy Spirit, we are just dead corpses with no spiritual life in us. And one of the saddest realities for many of us is that we try to reach others for the kingdom by natural means, without prayer. Well, this morning, we're going to take a look at the importance of going from prayer to action. Not starting from action and then going back to prayer because we've missed that, but starting from prayer and going forward to action. In Colossians chapter 4, we're going to be reading verses 2 through 6 and looking at three specific things in this text. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6 says this, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the Word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. We're going to look at three things here in this text. Number one, the intentionality of prayer. In verse number two. Number two, the specificity of prayer. In verses three through four. And number three, practical living. Verses five through 6. So number one, the intentionality of prayer in verse 2. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. You see, Paul here is actually ending this letter 
of the, of, in the book of Colossians with an encouragement to be intentional in prayer. The reason many of us do not value prayer is because there's no intentionality behind our prayer life. The idea that Paul brings up here is simple but profound. Prayer should be something that you and I are devoted to. It is not just an option on the table. It's what we are known for. We are praying people. We're devoted to and persistent to do. Continue earnestly here in this text carries the idea of following through with a serious conviction. I dare say some of us are more seriously convicted about being conservatives than we are about being praying Christians. How do I, what do I mean by that? We know more about the conservative platform than we spend praying and making that a point in our lives. Every day that you and I wake up, prayer should be an essential part of our life. And it's to be the heartbeat of who we are as believers. You pray not just because you ought to, but because there's a dedication to want to talk to God. And you can't wait to tell Him what's on your heart. You see, what's sad is a lot of believers want someone else to talk to God on their behalf. Pray for me. And they lack the desire to talk to God themselves. A believer who is not devoted and persistent to pray will suffer undue anxiety in their life. I'm sure many of us have experienced this a time or two or maybe thousands. When we lack prayer, our anxiety goes up. When we're not in the Word, our anxiety goes up. That should not surprise us. Prayer should be something that we are fully engaged on. That's one of the things that's mentioned here. Look at what he says. Being vigilant. You're fully alert, believer, when you pray. You pay attention. Let me ask. As a little boy, I know I did this quite a bit, and then I became an adult, and I still do this quite a bit, and don't realize that I do. Have you ever spaced out when you pray? Have you ever just started praying and you don't even know what you're really praying about because you're not even paying attention? And when you wrap up your prayer, you don't even remember what you just prayed for. There needs to be an intentionality to where you're vigilant and alert when you're praying. I want you to remember what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane as an illustration for all of your prayer life. When Jesus is in his lowest point, as he's about to be delivered to, to, to die on the cross for your and my, my sin, guess what he does? He prays. Guess what he tells his disciples to do? To watch and what? And pray. It's important to be alert when you and I pray. Were you really devoted, believer, when you did devotions in your prayer? You see, we call it devotions, right? We open the Bible, we pray. The question I have for you and me is, were we devoted when we did those things? Are we devoted when we do those things? Is it something that when we look at people like Daniel that pray three times a day, that's the staple in our life? We pray like that. 
You see, prayer itself needs to come out of a grateful heart. He just mentions it again, thanksgiving. Think through the prayers that have been prayed without so much as a thank you to God for what he's done. Have you had those? Have you prayed without a single word of thanksgiving in that prayer? It's just been a prayer of give me, give me, give me. Or help. You see, many of us, we forget to thank God for the blessings and opportunities he gives in our lives. We don't pray for many reasons, but let's just take a look at a few reasons we may not be praying. Well, one of them might be we don't really believe it does anything. Well, that's pretty strong, Pastor Roman. I really believe that that's the truth sometimes. We don't really believe it does anything. So why pray? It's not going to do anything, right? I mean, why should I pray to God? After all, he's sovereign. He's going to do it all anyways, right? Why pray? Why pray? It's not going to really change anything on the landscape, right? Think about it. How many times have you just checked out when you pray because you really didn't think that prayer mattered? Have you just prayed only to hurry up and eat food? Anybody pray that? You're just hurrying up. You want to pray for the food leave whatever that party that's going on, or just simply, you just don't truly believe that God is who he says he is, so what's the point of praying about this? Here's another reason why I think we don't pray alert or intentionally, is we feel separation from God. We find ourselves either struggling with sin or feeling guilt over the past, So because we feel that or we know that we've just committed a sin, we find it necessary for us to take some time before we pray. Have you ever done this, maybe not audibly and letting others know, but you've done this in your mind? Like, I've sinned horribly, so now I've got to do some things to make my conscience feel a little better, and then I'm going to pray? Maybe I'm the only one that's done that. It's amazing how we say, hey, you know what, I'm going to ignore talking to God about this because he already knows what I've just done. So I'm going to try to be a good boy or girl and do something, and then I'll go ask him for something. I don't think we understand what prayer is. You see, just because you don't feel close to God doesn't mean you should not pray. In fact, the prayer of humility between the publican itself, or the tax collector, if you will, and the Pharisee, is very visible what God preferred. The tax collector had a very simple prayer, very short and sweet and right to the point. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. The Pharisee had this long, elaborate, beautiful prayer. Sadly, he thanked God for the wrong things. He thanked God that he was better than other people. It's not exactly the kind of thank you that God is looking for, believer. Another reason why I think we don't become intentional in our prayer life is we don't know what to pray for. Some of us neglect to pray because we don't exactly know what we ought to pray for. And we find it impossible to pray consistently. 
This is where the Spirit steps in on our behalf. We've talked about this recently. Look, many of us, we do. We pray for our families. We pray for the nation. And then it's almost like those are the topics, and I don't know what else to pray for. Can, can I assure you, believer, if you're in this word, you're going to find a lot to pray for. You're going to find a lot. Things you've never considered. And the last reason why I don't think we're intentional in our prayer life, it's very simple. We just don't prioritize it. Just doesn't take the priority in our lives. Any consistent prayer life will be an intentional prayer life. You see, a lot of things that you find important in your life, you do every single week consistently whether or not anybody tells you to do it. You show up at your job because it's intentional and you need to. Prayer doesn't seem to have the same ring in your life and my life because we don't think it's needed. Only when I'm in the depths of despair do I need to cry out to God like David does in the book of Psalms. That's a lot of us. You will not be intentional in your prayer life if you neglect to set a consistent time to spend with God. Now, some of us have probably been blown away with monks that have prayed for hours on end. Been like, how did you do that? God is not looking for that. As pious as that may sound, God understands you and I have lives. But he wants you to talk to him. He wants you to let your requests be made known to him. He wants you to be thankful for the things that he's blessed you with in your life. Because in doing that, he will then use you for other things. Prayer is not intentional because it's not viewed as essential to you and me. Once prayer becomes essential to you and me, it will become intentional. It would do us good to heed Spurgeon's warning regarding prayer being neglected. Listen to this. A prayerless church member is a hindrance. He is in the body like a rotting bone or a decayed tooth. Before long, since he does not contribute to the benefit of his brethren, he will become a danger and a sorrow to them. Neglect of private prayer is the locust which devours the strength of the church. That's a punch in the gut. You want to see God move? You want to see God change things? Make prayer an intentional part of your life. The first part of this text is inward focus. You are to be intentional in your prayer life. There is a dedication that's there. You're fully engaged because it matters to, to you that even if God is distant, you want to talk to Him. Paul shifts the focus from the inward to the outward and praying specifically for others. Look at verse 3 and 4, the specificity of prayer. Starting verse 3. Meanwhile, praying also for us, that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. 
You see, one of the greatest blunders, I believe, in our prayer life is the lack of specificity in our prayer life. We have just sheer laziness when it comes to prayer. When you, ha- you and I have conversations with other people, we usually have specific topics we may want to discuss, right? Like, hey, I've, I've been met, met up with this friend. I want to kind of know how his job is going. I've met up with this lady. I want to know how the kids are doing at home. Whatever that situation is, we usually have certain things we'd like to bring up, right? But when it comes to our prayer life, we have like this template, right? Got to pray for the kids. Done. Check. Got to pray for the church. Check. Got to pray for the nation. Check. Uh, What else did I miss? Believer, when it comes to your prayer life, don't go on autopilot. Be specific in your prayer life. Not generic. Be specific for the people you pray for. Not generic. Many a disciple of Christ pray generic prayers for others and their needs are never mentioned. In fact, many a disciple of Jesus do not pray for opportunities for ministry. They attempt to find it themselves without ever bringing that up before the Lord. Many of us try to force opportunities instead of praying for them. You ever done that? Find a way to talk to this person. Have you prayed about it? You see, many of you have people all around you that you've not paid attention to that are opportunities for ministry, but you've not seen that because you haven't prayed for that. As concerned as Paul was for his own safety, he was more concerned about the opportunity to share the gospel to those around him. You have to remember, believer, uh, we have it pretty easy when we read the Bible. We're not in a dungeon with no TV, it's dark, isolated. As isolated as we feel this year, let me guarantee you one thing. Paul was more isolated than that. Paul was more concerned about sharing the gospel than he was for his own safety. He wanted the open door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, as he says here. So how do we know that that's what Paul is referring to here? That he really wants to share the gospel. That's what he's talking about. Let's look back to chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. Turn back to chapter 1, verses 24 through 29. He says this, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. There are some, some of the parts of this ministry are spelled out in other texts of Scripture. We're not going to go through all of them and turn to all of them. But Gentiles, along with the Jews, are united in the body of Christ through the Messiah. We see that similar phrasing in Ephesians chapter 3. We also see here that Christ, the Messiah, is indwelling believers. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We also see the unity of the church with Christ. Back in Ephesians chapter 5, after he gives you a comparison between the husband and the wife and Christ and the church. Before looking for an opportunity to share the gospel, pray for an opportunity to share the gospel, believer. Let's not get this backwards. Paul was in prison for the gospel, but his concern for safety was at a minimal. The ultimate concern was the gospel message and presenting that to others. The gospel is the most important thing to Paul, and there's so much to be learned here, as he cares more for the salvation of others than his own safety. Listen to what Spurgeon says here. Methinks every true Christian should be exceedingly earnest in prayer concerning the souls of the ungodly. And when they are so, how abundantly God blesses them and how the church prospers. So Paul is shifting back to the church of Colossae here to give them an indicator, hey, it's time to put what you've prayed for into action. What you've prayed for yourself and what you've prayed for us And it's time to put it into action. Paul moves ahead to practical living. That's the third point we're looking at this morning. Practical living, verses 5 through 6. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Paul does what he always does in his writings. He starts off by building the doctrine and then finishes the letter off with the practical. After he always lays the groundwork for the doctrine, he always follows up with, here's how to do this. He starts by unpacking to the Colossians the supremacy of Christ in chapter 1. He encourages them to stick to the commandments of Scripture and reject legalism including the extra restrictions on diet, festivals, and even the Sabbath in the strictest sense. He gives them practical instructions for Christian living. He starts that in chapter 3. And he finishes with a final word on practical living before closing his his letter in chapter 4. Paul says here to walk in wisdom to those who are outside. Or as another translation would put it, outsiders. Those who are outside the faith, outside the kingdom. We will take a look at what Paul means here by using the Bible as its own commentary. 
and referencing that with other texts of Scripture. Turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 12. Paul mentions some key truths in what this walking in wisdom to those outside the faith looks like. Starting in verse number 3, he says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in, lo- in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such. As we also forewarned you and testified, for God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in all of Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands, as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside, and that you may lack nothing. So practically speaking, what would walking in wisdom or walking properly, as it says in this text, look like? Well, one of the things he mentions right off the bat is sexual purity. If you think that's not important in the believer's life when it comes to walking in wisdom to those outside the faith, then you've missed what Paul says here. One of the worst testimonies any believer can have is living living a sexually impure life. That's why sexual purity is something that is emphasized over and over and over in all of Paul's letters. It is not an accident. Loving other disciples of Christ, in verses 9 through 10. In fact, Paul is urging them to love even more passionately and fervently than they have. So has your love for others in this church increased this past year, believer? Let's ask practically. Have you cared for them more this past year than last year? You see, I think those are the things that we miss. What would demonstrate that we love Christ more than loving the brethren? The next thing he mentions here is minding your own business. Yeah, that's in the Bible. What do we mean by that? Taking care of yourself. You ever have people that just want to worry about what goes on in everybody else's life, but they don't worry about what's going on in their own life? I sure hope that's not you and me. It's so dangerous as a testimony to the faith. You don't live dependent on others, believer. And that's what the text is getting at. If you are physically, mentally able to work for a living, do so without dependency on others. You need to have good character, integrity, be worthy of respect to those who may not like anything about your faith, but they know that you are a genuine person. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 31 and 32. He says this, Therefore, 
whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. So, so what is Paul actually getting at here in, in, in this text of the Corinthians? He actually is saying to adjust to those around you. Now, this might seem like a shock to some of you. Paul is saying to adjust to those around you? Yes, that's exactly what he's saying. What Paul is getting at here is you need to be able to adjust to, to the people around you, whether it's those in the church in another religious community, or those outside the faith or religious activity entirely. You find things in common with them that may be a tool used to bring them to Christ. If they like a certain sports team, you connect with them on that, believer. Particularly if into sports. If you're not, try not to make a fool out of yourself. Just don't do it. If you're a techie guy, talk to people about techie stuff, particularly those that are interested in that stuff. I probably would not recommend you listening to all the music the world listens to in order to reach them. Probably would not include WAP on that list. That would not be a good testimony. If you're a mom struggling to raise your kids, you connect with other moms that are struggling to raise their kids as well. If you're a man, you work hard to provide, and you connect with others that are working hard to provide for their own. You find things in common. Any interest an unbeliever has that does not violate Scripture, i.e. sexual sins that we've mentioned, greed, deceit, etc., is an opportunity to share, potentially, the gospel. You see, some of you think you've got to just jump right in, and you've got to give it to them right away. And you miss the fact that God wants you to live like everybody else in the sense of being in a cultural setting, understanding the cultural norms, and knowing, hey, this is sinful, I can't participate with this, but hey, I can totally connect with you on that. I think everybody can connect around food. Jesus fed the multitudes. Were all of them believers? No. It's a great tip from Scripture. We stop short of bringing the gospel in our connections with others. This needs to become a priority for us. Else we're no different than everybody else. Think of it this way, believer. The only thing that's different from you and everyone else is that you have Christ and they don't. Apart from Christ, are you any different? Now, does Christ change you from the inside out? Absolutely, of course. We amen that. But apart from that, were you both born sinners? Yes. You both come from pretty messed up families many times? Yeah. Do you have real struggles in life? Yeah. Are we all going through 2020 together? Yeah. Think of what makes you different than the rest. It's the gospel. That's it. Knowing Christ. Having the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. If Christ is what matters, why is he not shared? 
It's amazing how many of us connect with people without ever having the end goal be the gospel. I've been absolutely fascinated. I've been talking to somebody in this church for a while. And one of the things we've talked about is what are the different ways we can reach people with the gospel? One of the things I found fascinating is simple things like sitting down at a table and just having a meal together brings an opportunity that me, you and I are many times not aware of. Sitting down around a table and playing a board game could be the very opportunity you need to share the gospel with someone else. If you're not seeing the reason to connect that to the gospel, then you've missed the point of what Christ called you to. You need to remember, believer, you're not seeking to connect for your own benefit, but for their benefit. Let's remind ourselves one more time that we have Christ, they don't. Why do you want to connect with them? So they have what you have. If Christ is that valuable to you, why wouldn't you want that for them? You want them to have Christ because you have Christ. You care more about their future than they, maybe they even do. That's essentially what Paul is actually driving at here. Now, back in Colossians chapter 4, Paul is telling them to make the most of every opportunity. Redeem the time. You're given an opportunity, spend it wisely when you're around others. Stop being so concerned about your personal insecurities, believer, and your physical safety. Connect with others. One of the things he mentions is be aware of how you say things. What does he say here? Notice what he says. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Sometimes people just need a firm reminder that they're responsible for their life choices. They need a reality check. Other times they need simply for you to tell them you're praying for them. And if there's anything they need help with, you're there. There needs to always be grace, believer. Seasoned with salt. Listen to what one author points out about this text. Salt probably represented both attractiveness, since salt makes food appealing and wholesomeness, since salt was a preservative that retarded spoiling or rotting in food. Furthermore, one should wisely suit his or her speech to each need or person. That's what wisdom is all about. Some of you know people that need, a, need, a, need it shot straight at them. You know others that really need a gentle approach. And shooting it straight at them is just not going to work. You don't need to be someone you're not, believer. You can still have your own personality. And in your personality, you can connect with others. This is one of the worst things I think Christians can do, is change who they are so they can reach others. 
Sometimes Christians try to come off a little more spiritual and holy than the way they normally act because they want to impress people. If it's genuine, go ahead. But if it's just to put on a show, forget it. God gave you the personality you have that is different from those around you. You realize that you have a different personality from your spouse. Normally, the same personality does not marry one another. If they do, that's in for a train wreck. Two quiet folks marrying each other will never talk. Two loud folks will probably kill each other. There's a reason why God put you in the family that he did. And he gave you the personality that you have. That's different from your children, from your spouse, from your coworker, from those around you. He doesn't want you to morph into one of them. He wants you to be you, but use whatever means necessary to reach them. There are certain people that you have been given an opportunity to reach. My question to you and me is, why are we so hesitant? You don't need to explain the Trinity right away, believer. It's not the first conversation you probably should have with anybody. You can talk to them about the basics. Like why the Patriots are horrible this year. Basics. You don't need to overthink this. You can talk to them about the books that they read that you may have read. Or maybe their, la- their love of dogs. I can't connect with the cat lovers. Sorry. The only place where you should probably be weird, if you will, in your dedication to Christ, that's where you should probably be weird. Because they should see something a little off compared to them on that. Because your dedication to Christ and holy living should be the thing that sets you apart from them. Everything else about you is made of the same stuff they are. The Holy Spirit resides in you, and he is the one who is conforming you to Christ, and he is the one who is going to work in them. We have so many opportunities that we're just not paying attention to. I believe firmly with all of my heart this is the greatest opportunity for the church to bring the gospel. Because all of the fixes that our government is proposing are temporary fixes. None of them will do anything for you once you pass from this life. They are only here to prolong you in this life. They're not looking at the eternal destiny of the souls of men. So many of people are hurting just like you and I are. And they also need Christ just like you do. So in conclusion, will you pray and take action? Will you pray and take action? When was the last time you specifically prayed for God to give others an opportunity to share the gospel that you personally know? When was the last time you prayed for this church that those in the school would be given an opportunity to share the gospel with the students? When was the last time you prayed for the missionaries in this church that we support consistently? When was the last time you prayed and asked God to give you an opportunity to share the gospel with others? I'm willing to say, based on what I know of the Scripture, 
that God would love to answer that prayer. Because when he tells us to pray, the intention is the gospel. Even when it comes to praying for authority, which we discussed the other week. Take time this week to pray about this and look for the opportunities that God sends your way. Believer, you don't need to worry about getting everything right. Let me guarantee you one thing, you will mess up. You don't need to be worried about that. God overcame the flaws that got you the gospel. And he will do so as he uses you to reach others with the gospel as well. You let God work out those details and how he draws others to saving faith. Let's pray.